1: Welcome to the House of Pod, a show where we pull back the curtain on the world of medicine, we answer questions about your health, and we interview great guests. I'm Joe, and I'm not a doctor. And I'm Lizzie. And I'm Kaveh.
2: And we're two gastroenterologists.
1: What's a gastroenterologist?
2: You know, the doctors who work with your digestive system.
1: Say what? You know, your liver, your pancreas, your intestines. Where now?
2: Your butt, Joe. It's your butt.
0: Oh,
1: Okay, welcome back to the House of Pod, our third emergency uh, podcast on the coronavirus. Uh, I am joined by Lizzie. Hi, Lizzie. Hi. And we have a special guest. We have Dr. Jahan Fahimi. He's the medical director uh, of the emergency medicine department at UCSF. He's an associate professor uh, there as well. And he is, believe it or not, someone I knew a long time ago. I knew him when he was a wee young lad. He was just this sweet, kind, smart kid. And I'm like, then I saw him on TV, like, I don't know, uh, a, a couple days ago. And I'm like, that dude looks really familiar. And I'm like, oh, I know him. Because, yes, it's true. All Iranian doctors know each other. I was going to say, I
2: was gonna say you're, you're his dad. Let me guess, right. you're his dad. <laughs>
1: Oh actually I'm He's not my that proud, much, proud father. I'm like an older brother. I'm not that much older. Jeez, it's like a <laughs> couple years. Um, anyways, Johan, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. So thank I you. know I know you're super busy right now, but um, we we've been talking a lot about this surge that's expected in the next coming weeks. We're expecting the coronavirus patient load to really hit California, or at least that's what's feared. Um, and we we're felt that we sort of had a little bit of advantage over New York in terms of preparation and timing, but um, we, we f- there's a lot of fear that it's coming. So as the guy who's really helping to prepare your medical department, your emergency room, what have you been doing to, to help prepare for that?
3: Well, um, our preparation started uh, probably at the end of February, mid to to late February is when we really kind of recognized that this was going to hit us um, and we had no idea when and how hard. So um, we started off by basically figuring out a way to receive patients into our ER to separate those with respiratory complaints from those who don't have respiratory complaints. Um, We've put up these two large uh, shelters um, in our parking lot, and uh, they're negative pressure um, military-style tents where um, we can do triage, x-rays, evaluations, the the whole evaluation for a patient with respiratory complaints. Um, and we, we got these things up and, and running at the beginning of March, to um, so sort of in anticipation of what we thought was going to be this huge surge. And initially, there was. Um, initially, we saw a large volume of people, mostly who were pretty well, um, not particularly sick, coming through there. Uh, we tested a fair number of those patients, and the majority, the overwhelming majority were, were negative for COVID infection. What we've seen since is um, a pretty rapid decline in the number of patients who are presenting to the ER for care, including those with respiratory symptoms. And, you know, we just kind of realized um, this past week, we are we're in the flattened curve right now. Um, the reason we're not getting this huge rush right now, whereas, um, you know, our colleagues out in New York um, are, is because we started this social distancing and the shelter in place uh, just early enough, so I think you know we know we're not at the peak yet. We know it's coming, uh, but it seems to have slowed down enough that um, we're not getting that that overwhelming surge. And so, what are we doing with this time that we bought ourselves? Well, we've got telemedicine capabilities that we're we're building out. Um, we've opened up respiratory isolation units inside the hospital, in addition to what I just described um, in the E.R. Um, we have time to learn from our colleagues in New York, and so there's a lot of critical care procedures, ventilator management, um, therapeutics that uh, you know. At least we have anecdotal evidence for um, now. Uh, we have the ability to stockpile ventilators and PPE. We can train workforce. Uh, figure out how we will um, how we will do our surge if if and when it comes. So, you know, we we just have increased our capacity and increased our workforce and and hopefully improved our resiliency towards what is what is bound to get worse. um, but Hopefully not a whole lot worse.
2: So you think, um, you know, obviously in New York is the center in America and LA, the numbers are creeping up as well. And the Bay Area Like you're saying, it feels, I mean, Kaveh and I are in San Francisco as doctors in GI, so we're not seeing as many respiratory complaints, shocking. But, um, you know, do you think that's because just we had a few days, like literally, I think four days, five days before New York. I think the governor here also banned groups of more than 200 or 250 people also quite early. And then Mm -hmm. the next, within three days, it was like banning more than 50 people. And now it's like 10 people. Now it's no one. Do you yeah. think that that's really the difference? Because that's what we're trying to figure out. Like what little things can we all do when we're sitting at home stuck and yeah. not contributing?
3: I, you know, I, I can't put my finger on it. So I couldn't tell you definitively, but that seems to be the biggest contributor. Um, it really just seems that if you bend the curve, the earlier you bend that curve, um, and, and reduce that transmission, um, you know, you avoid that exponential growth down the road. Um, And the sooner you start, the the more that exponential growth is, is curbed. So I think a couple of days makes that difference. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: And we're also able to like prepare, like you said, from New York and get more PPE. I have very good friends who sent me a photo and we can post it of gowns hanging outside of the rooms in the ICU because they each have to be reused for every person before they go yeah, into a room. Right. And I have a different friend who's talking about trash bags, you know, for yeah, care right. of patients. And it's, uh, it's embarrassing really to think that we're just one yeah. of the most powerful and wealthy countries and this is what we're talking about really.
3: Yeah, and, and we should be clear, we're doing those same things here, right? So that PPE conservation, uh, we know that this is gonna be a marathon. And we know that we can't sort of feel like, well, we can stockpile now and then use our PPE however we we want. We, we recognize that we have to be really thoughtful about it. So we are reusing N95s. So we are reusing gowns. Uh, we have not um, started using trash trash bags, mm-hmm. um, and I and I pray that we won't have to. Um, but you know, the the PPE conservation is very real. Um, I I think that we've had to sort of rewrite the hospital epidemiology playbook a few times. Um, What would have been blasphemous um, a year ago, or six months ago, or even two months ago, is now completely sanctioned. And so um, it is sad, and it does make us worried. And if we do have even one, or two, or 10 uh, healthcare workers who get exposed, because of these policies and procedures, you know that's going to be that many, too much. But, um, so yeah, we we are we are learning from the East Coast um, about PPE as well.
1: So along those lines, what's the vibe? I've been talking to a lot of doctors, both here, ERs, ICUs, and in East Coast, and um, and and talking to them about how they're feeling. I mean, because that's something I think we sort of need to address. Um, yeah. How? What's the vibe of the doctors? How are the doctors and the nurses? How's the? How are people feeling in the ER right now?
3: Well, um, I mean, I, I think there's been a lot of reporting about how people are feeling on the East Coast, and that's that's obvious. I have a, a bunch of colleagues who are working in some of the the busiest ERs in in New York, and um, their stories are truly harrowing and really disheartening. Um, out west. I think it's a it's a bit of a roller coaster. Um, we are banded together. We're definitely mission driven. We we recognize what we have to do. But there's no doubt that there's anxiety and fear um, that everyone is feeling. And I think that that anxiety and fear gives voice to sometimes um, uh, behaviors or approaches that are uh, that undermine that sort of mentality of, of us all being in it together. Um, and so while I overall I think everybody understands what we have to do as a group, you can see on a day-to-day basis the frustrations around PPE, for example, will will really boil over and people really want a place to vent about it. Um, yeah. And this is a national problem. It's not, it's not our hospital's problem, but they want to yell at a hospital administrator about, you know, not protecting us with the with the best gear possible. When in reality, everyone's doing their best—from um, you know, local policymakers to hospital administrators to medical directors to the frontline providers. Everyone's doing their best, um, but that anxiety and fear can can occasionally result in morale being diminished and people wanting to sort of take out their frustrations somewhere. Um, but overall, um, I think people recognize we're we're lucky um, to do this job and we have to kind of step up right now and. Uh, do our best for our community and um, take care of ourselves in the process, but but really step up to the challenge.
1: Yeah, I think long term, there's going to be some real sort of uh, PTSD issues we're going to have to address with all the staff, particularly in the East Coast, what they're going through. But right now on the West Coast, it it really feels like one of those, and I hate to make war analogies with medicine, but I think here is one of the few times, if if the first time, where it's, I've experienced where it actually makes sense. It's like, that scene in Game of Thrones and the Battle of Winterfell when all these like, those zombies or whatever they're called, the White Walkers are about to attack and yeah. Melisandre is lighting the, the swords on fire. This is, you're at that right, stage right now where everyone's preparing for this wave to hit us as, as someone else described it recently to me.
3: Yeah, no, so, and um, uh, i Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you. Uh, I was just going to say, I, we, we do see ourselves as the Jon Snow of, of medicine, for sure. <laughs> we, are, we are the Night's Watch. We, yeah. uh, we keep the White Walkers out of the yeah, hospital. We're, we're the sure. hound. <laughs> we're the hound of medicine. Like, we for do the, the dirty for those, work.
2: For those of you who don't listen to, <laughs> to the Game of Thrones, Jon Snow is the good guy. So yeah, the doctors right. are the good guy. Right. Anyway. Right. Um, so you're talking a lot about morale and obviously villains and protagonists and all that. You know, it does sound kind of like a drama, um, and it's it's really just insane. And we've talked about this before, but you know, the thing that's come up over and over for years, not just during this awful pandemic, is like burnout and resilience and you know, physician burnout and how we always talk about how the people who will step up. Are doctors and nurses? No matter how much more stuff you throw at institutions and hospitals, the doctors and the nurses are always going to say yes. You know. So how do you see this? Do Do you see this whole this stretch this um this huge ask this all the sacrifice that people are making? You know, I have friends who are taking meetings on weekends and nights and doing all this surge planning, and hopefully it won't get here. But even in the Bay Area, like you're saying, there's stress and there's fear, even though. The, the numbers haven't hit us. Um, so do you see this changing like American healthcare? Like, do you think that this is the last straw that breaks the nurses back, the doctors back, you know, because you're talking yeah. about administrators trying to do all this stuff, people doing the best that they can do. But I've seen it at my hospital, even how, you know, the doctors are being told about certain PPE, you know, personal protective gear or equipment. And then the nurses are like, hey, we want that too. But right. it seems like sometimes there's not, perfect communication in this regard and i just wonder if this whole thing will will kind of break the system or at least hopefully restructure it in a good way
3: yeah no i i I totally agree i think that there's the potential for this to either be that last straw for folks or it has the potential to sort of be a, a paradigm shift in the right direction right so this is one of those times where um I don't think people are, are necessarily, people don't want to shy away in 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 this times, right? So I think people want to come to work. They want to do their best. They want to be on the front lines. They want to help patients. They want to rise to the, to the occasion. And so when we're getting a chance to do what it is that we went into this profession for, I think it overall has the ability to potentially build in some resilience um, against burnout. Yes. I think the question will be, what do we do to take care of staff during, and in particular, after all of this. So mm-hmm. if the hospital administrators can, can move mountains, um, as, and, I, and I'll go on the record and say that my hospital administrators have moved mountains for us. I mean, the, I have never been told no about anything that I've needed or wanted um, in the last couple of months in preparation for, for this. Um, everything is a yes, everything is a, is a green light. And so uh, I do feel supported. Now, of course, there, there's stress and anxiety about PPE, like we talked about. There's issues around testing that we haven't had access to, but but those notwithstanding, the, the hospital administration has our back. I think the bigger question is what is what are we all gonna do around medicine on the on the back end of this? Will we do that restructuring that you're mentioning? Will we recognize that like once this dies down, we're not gonna go uh, you know, way down the docks with all the administrative stuff that was was crushing us uh, to begin with. We're not going to go back to being stretched so thin. I think we have to recognize that we we don't have we haven't we we weren't very resilient. We were able to uh, step up and meet this challenge, um, but we can't go back to the way things were we have, we have to, we have to do business differently, value our, our frontline providers, nurses, doctors, everybody differently. Um, and hopefully, hopefully we'll have a, have a new contract with, with healthcare professionals, um, in the way yeah. we, we, we integrate them into a, into the healthcare system.
2: Yeah. The humans are stepping up the infrastructure and the supplies are lacking, yeah. you know, doctors right. and nurses right. are showing up, you know, yeah, and, um, and it sounds like your administrators and, our, you know, everyone I've heard is, you know, really working so hard, but it's just, if you don't have the vents, you can't provide right. the care, you know? That's right.
1: right.
2: So, um, yeah.
1: Well, man, listen, uh, we know that you don't have a lot of time, um, and uh, we really appreciate you spending like the 30 minutes of free time you have talking to us. You guys are yeah. the ones that are really are inspiring uh, everyone else. So, it's really important that everyone knows that everyone understands what you guys are doing. And yeah, like you said, I hope the social contract with doctors changes when this is all said and done. If nothing else, uh, somebody owes you a beer when uh, right. this thing sort of settles.
2: But um, And even even without the patient surge, again, it's it's the planning and the thinking about it that, again, a lot of you guys are doing, the ones who are going to have to face the surge hopefully it won't come but like there's just so much thinking and strategizing about how to plan for this stuff you know and again that we're we should be so grateful that we're having the time that new york doesn't and that italy certainly did not um but it's uh you know we, we do i think everyone lay people and docs really appreciate like all that that extra time everyone's putting in so thank you
3: yeah yeah
1: all right, man, we'll let you go, but uh, I'll have you come back on again sometime for an update, if, if that's okay with you.
3: Yeah, I would love that. Thank you guys so much.
2: Okay, All right. Thank you.
3: Thanks, man. All right, take care. The opinions on this podcast are broadcasted for educational and informational purposes only and do not represent the opinions of our employers. These opinions are not intended as a diagnosis, treatment, or as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a local physician or other healthcare professional for your specific healthcare and or medical needs or concerns. All antidotes and patient-related details have been changed with respect to date, sex, and certain details so that patient identification is not possible.